And uh, open it up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Lord, as we get into this deep discourse, uh, man, it was, uh, it was a big old steak to chew on last week and uh, wonderful to ponder at home groups this week. Uh, and I'm just sensing, Lord, that you have even more in this section for us today, especially in this time of Advent, in this time of uh, considering uh, the, the Noel, the first coming of Jesus, that you would just be preparing our hearts in this season to, to worship you and to keep you first and to uh, have depth of worship and thought and consideration uh, for your coming, your becoming flesh and dwelling among us, you being a baby born in Bethlehem, uh, and so that we might be able to take this great message out into this world and bring hope to our colleagues and our co-workers and just our fellow man. Uh, There's such hope in life in you, Jesus. So teach us today. Open up our eyes. Give us comprehension. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we did go through this section of John 6, 22 through 66, 71. Uh, this last week, had some great discussion at home group. And as I was beginning to get into chapter 7 and study for this week, I just felt my heart drawn back to this section again, to some key verses that really... Um, remind us that Jesus is the reason for the season. Not to be cheesy, but uh, it really is true. Amen. Uh, when we think of some of the songs that we sing in worship all throughout the year, humbly you came to the earth you created. You guys know that song? You know that lyric? What about only son of God sent from heaven? You know, those are songs we sing in July, you know, and, and yet it's Christmas in July when we sing it, you know, because we are remembering the incarnation. We are remembering when God took on flesh and dwelt among us in the incarnation, the in-fleshness of God. He draped himself in the clothing of men and lived among us, living the life we could never live, a life of perfect obedience. He died a, de a death of substitution, dying in our place. He died a death of sacrifice. A friend of mine wrote some 20 years ago a song uh, that he was born to die, that I might live. And he took upon him all our sin. And so I want to look at some of these key verses in John 6, which is the bread of life passage. Great study last week, deep study, so deep. Your guys were rolling in the back of your head while you were listening. My eyes were rolling in the back of my head while I was preaching. It was just an eye roll fest, okay? It was in a good way. We're like, this is so much, I can barely handle it, right? Um, and and yet we don't want to miss just speeding through maybe some good stuff or, that would answer three questions for us this morning. Number one, where did Jesus come from? his origin number two why did he come telling us his purpose and then thirdly what does that mean for me okay what does that mean to me what does that mean for me and in this bread of life passage we were reminded that just as god sent his people bread in the wilderness when they were physically hungry so he would send them bread to, to quench their spiritual hunger. Maybe hunger that they don't even know they have. That God would send the true bread from heaven. It's a greater provision for a deeper hunger. Okay, God sending bread from heaven. A greater provision for a deeper hunger. And so God, this chapter tells us, this section, God sent the true bread, 
But it didn't appear on the ground first thing in the morning like the manna in the wilderness. No, it appeared in a manger late at night. That's how this true bread from heaven appeared. And so let's look at uh, some of these starting in John six twenty nine, where uh, we're going to answer the questions. Remember, three things. Where did Jesus come from? What was Jesus' purpose? And what does this mean for me? See if you can kind of, you know, answer these in, in your own head while we're reading these verses, okay? John six twenty nine. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Okay? So, a few things are answered in this. Uh, you might kind of underline a couple things in your Bible. If you're into that, maybe you brought your colored pencil collection to church today, which would do you well. I'm a color-coded guy. You probably know that. But in each of these verses that I just read to you, you'll notice I've got some gold, I've got some purple, I've got some pink, and I've got some blue. And every one of those verses sparks to my mind, here's who Jesus is, here's what the Father's done, here's what he's calling me to do in the light of it, here's how the Spirit is involved. Um, and so, you know, sh- certainly you're not going to bring your Crayola markers to church with you probably, but you might just kind of underline some things and pull some things out so as you're reading it, it'll remind you that Here in verse 29, we see Jesus. Jesus is the him, okay? Jesus is the him who was sent, okay? Notice at the end of that verse, it says, he sent, okay? This is speaking of the role of the Father. The Father sent him. And what is the response of us to this? That we would believe, okay? That we would believe. So, Already we know the Father sent the Son, and our response is that we would believe, okay? All right, now let's hop down a few verses to John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus says to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, all right? So, you know, you may be tucking your kids in bed at night and they ask this great question, you know, what is heaven, where is heaven? And you may have some prepared answers or some answers that you wish you'd prepared for. Hopefully it's something along the lines of that heaven is where God is. It's where he dwells. It's where his throne is jesus referred to this place as paradise and that when we're absent from our body here as christians we're in the presence of the lord there uh so heaven you know there's a lot to be said of it biblically there's the first heaven which is kind of the sky where the birds like to live you know and then the second heaven is really more the sun the moon the stars the third heaven is really more that celestial heaven where the throne of god is seventh heaven is a show from the 90s really weird show Never got the channel myself. But let's drop back down a couple notches to that third heaven, the heaven where God dwells, okay? That heaven is where Jesus resided from eternity past as God, as creator. Um, But you'll notice one thing we want to note is the Trinitarian statements in this section as well. Already we've seen a little bit of the Father. Already we've seen a little bit of the Son. Later on, we're going to see a little bit of the Spirit. And so here in our section, verses 32 through 33, uh, that the Father gives the true bread from heaven. Okay, Jesus already said, I am the bread of life. So we've got the Father giving, okay? This This is gift giving season, and we give great gifts in light of his great gift, all right? He's the greatest giver of all. Uh, Paul the Apostle talks in 2 Corinthians when he's encouraging us to be generous. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, okay? So part of this gift season that we love and, and cherish has got to be rooted and grounded in the gospel, the greatest gift of all, when the Father gives the Son, 
He gives true bread from heaven to satisfy our deep spiritual craving. There's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. There's a God-flavored hunger in every one of us, all right? Seasoned with a little bit of grace, amen? And that, that tasty bread of Jesus satisfies our inner longing to be reconciled with God. We've been created in the image of God. We've been created to worship God. And when we're not in a place of worshiping him, we're never satisfied. We're always searching um, uh, through, through deserts and valleys. Uh, and praise God that he pursues us to give us this true bread. Verse 33 goes on to say that the bread of God is a person. It's a he. It's he who came down from heaven, from that throne, the dwelling place of God, and something that he does, this is part of his purpose, this is part of the second question we want to answer, something that he does is he gives life to the world. Where there's drought, where there's desert, where there's famine, where there's hunger, where there's death, where there's darkness, he brings light and life and satisfaction and saturation. He gives life. Why did he come? He comes, he came, rather, past tense, he came to give life to the world. Now, does it matter that Jesus came from heaven? It matters. This isn't just one little, you know, half statement mentioned somewhere in the Bible in a bit of obscurity that's gray and shaded and just, you know, oh, whatever, some people think that, that Jesus came from heaven. I mean, I don't know not really clear you know you read your bible and you see that there never was when he wasn't okay he is from eternity past he's even the lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world all right god is uh is uh the father god is the son god is the spirit the spirit is god jesus is god the son is god and here we have Jesus um, being told to have been from heaven, okay? Uh, it matters that Jesus is from heaven. It's mentioned all throughout the scripture. It's mentioned all throughout the book of John in his discourse. And it's mentioned multiple times here in chapter 6. It's mentioned back in John chapter 3 verse 13 when Jesus says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven... That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Okay, uh, John the Baptist says in John 3.31, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth, but he who comes from heaven is above all. John the Baptist knew that Jesus, his cousin, was from heaven. All right, He's not just a penny from heaven. He's, he's God from heaven. Okay? And, uh, and so Jesus said it to Nicodemus, John the Baptist said it about Jesus, and then here in chapter 6, and I'm just going to throw out a number of verses, we're not going to look at them yet, but in verse 33, 38, 41, 42, 50, 51, 58, these are all verses about him coming from heaven. So where has Jesus come from? When Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem, in his incarnate state, he became, in that instant, a dweller in time. But prior to that, he has existed in all of eternity, in all of his creative power, in communion with the Father, and in communion and fellowship and in friendship with the Spirit. So where did Jesus come from? you got to get it just where it's naturally coming out of your mouth. Jesus came from heaven. And what was Jesus doing there? Hanging out with the Father. Enjoying time with the Spirit. Creating the universe. Okay, It's what the Christian theologians call the Trinity. The triune God. It speaks of threeness. That God is one and three. Each person. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal. Each person is I... No, I'm not saying me. Don't... Like, oh, he said each person... No. Okay. So, they can say, I 
in relationship to the other two who are you. The son may address the father as you. The father may address the son as you. The father and the son may address the spirit as you. Are they three roles played by one person? No. That's called modalism. It was condemned in the third century as being heretical. Well, are they three different gods clustered up to one another? No, that's tritheism, which is also since the early church been called heresy. So what is it? The Trinity is that there is one God, okay, existing in three persons. They are one God equally as they. So you want something to chew on today before you take your afternoon nap. Take a piece of paper, write down on the top, one is they, and then have a good afternoon, okay? Um, It'll really get your pillow smoking if you lay your head down for a little afternoon nap, okay? Now, the Trinity is at work as you read the Bible, okay? You've got God the Father, and he is initiating, okay? He is initiating, a great redneck word in case you're wondering, initiate some pickles initiate some okay just kidding uh god the father is the initiator all right god the son is complying in this work and in this plan and god the spirit is executing this plan when we think of it in terms of salvation god the father plans it god the son procures it God the Spirit applies it to our lives. The Spirit has this work of ringing a bell in our head as the preacher's preaching the gospel or the word of God is being proclaimed. And what the Spirit says is that this guy is speaking about the condition of your heart and your need for a Savior. And so, studying, I mean, that's just a brief snapshot. We've been studying the Trinity a lot in the Gospel of John. You can go back to chapter 1 online. Listen to our teachings that's especially deep in our study of the Trinity and the historical orthodoxy of such a doctrine, of such a view. But it helps us as we're in this season singing the hymns such as Veiled in Flesh, the Godhead See, Hail the Incarnate Deity, Pleased as Man with Men to Dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It's not the Unitarian theology that tries to water down such a doctrine, saying that Jesus was man just like any other man, with origins just like any other man. And when it says he came down from heaven, it means he went up to heaven mysteriously and then came down again. He never came down from heaven. He went up there so that he could come back down. Okay, but more modern day Unitarianism says there's more of an ideal existence in heaven that, you know, the son Jesus was really just more a thought in the father's mind and so that's how he had existed in heaven Uh, but that is not biblical nor is it orthodox nor does it help us with the great plan of salvation in the gospel from genesis through revelation that god would be glorified through the death of his son uh, on the cross reconciling sinners to himself and that son's pure and spotless god blood would atone for the sins of of the world and he would be exalted in worship for this great rescue plan thought of since before the foundation of the world and so when jesus says i came down from heaven multiple times in john chapter 6 we need to just let him say what he's saying and not try to water it down or make it fit into any progressive worldview that might be out there today he says what he says and let's not try to Tell him what he says or what he meant when he said it. I came down from heaven or the father sent me down from heaven or sent the bread down from heaven. Okay, let's look at another one of these verses. John chapter 6 verse 38. For I have come down from heaven. 
Okay, so that again answers that first question. Where did he come from? He came from heaven. Now we're going to look at the third question that we're answering in all of this. What does it mean to me or for me? I came down from heaven, or rather, this, this has, actually, forgive me, I've got every question being answered in these next couple verses. He came down from heaven, what is the purpose? Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he comes from heaven, what is the purpose? Not for selfish purposes, not to do whatever he wants, but to do the will of him who sent me. A few verses ago, we saw that part of his purpose was that the world would have life. To bring life into the world. Here we see that his purpose is to do the will of him who sent me. We see the Father in this as well. In verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me. That all he has given me, I should lose nothing. So he's come to give life. He's come to do the salvation will of the Father. He has come to keep those that the father has given him he has a role in our eternal security not losing us not letting anyone snatch us out of his hand in that he will raise us up on the last day and then verse 40 and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life And I will raise him up in the last day. So we have, again, more purpose of why he came to do the will of the Father. Also, the will of the Father is that he would give everlasting life. And then third question we're answering today, what does this mean for us? It means that we would see this story. We would see the gospel. We would see the Son. We would see God's great love for us and his initiation to have relationship with us restored. We would see this and we would believe it. We would trust it. And as we do that, we would be given everlasting life and a future hope of resurrection, that we would be raised up on the last day. And so it's impossible to understand the work of God the Father Uh, unless we understand it in a pre-existent, pre-incarnate agreement that takes place between God the Father and God the Son and the Spirit as well, and this great agreement that the Son has with the Father to accomplish a task as he's sent to earth, to uphold this work of fulfilling the task and then a reward that's giving as he does so. Let's look at John 5. 30. We looked at this a few weeks ago. The end of the verse says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 7, 16 says, the end of the verse, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. John 8, 16 says, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. John 14, 31, that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. So we see in these verses that there's been a a compact, uh, an agreement between the Son and the Father since before his incarnation, that there's a will, that there's a plan, that there's a command, That there's a purpose in his coming to the earth. And Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 through 10 is one of my favorite Christmas time passages. It's in the book of Hebrews. You would never expect it to be there, right? Except that every passage in the Bible is a Christmas passage, okay? But this Hebrews 10 is actually taken from Psalm chapter 40. And it shows us the prophecy of... The, the story of Jesus coming down and becoming flesh and living among men and giving his life. And it says here in Hebrews 10, 5, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, and then there's this quote, okay? So what's incredible here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, is we actually have the words that were spoken in heaven, 
okay, as, and you know, just give me a little bit of liberty here, okay, uh, as far as like a little picture here. You almost have like a, a reverse spaceship, you know, that's all created and primed and, you know, it's got steam coming out of it. And it's ready to be launched, all right, into another realm. And, uh, and there Jesus is and he knows the mission, he knows the plan, and he knows what he's got to do. And as, as this plan for salvation is going to take place, this mission to earth, uh, here is the son, and he's speaking to the father, kind of his parting words before he takes on flesh, before he kind of gets in and takes off, you know. And of course, the Gospel of Luke tells us that it's actually the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and, you know, placing Jesus in her womb, okay? So, you know, just let that Put that on, on your paper this afternoon before your nap, like spaceship, uh, Holy Spirit overshadowing, you know, you'll go right to sleep. It'll be, okay, you'll never sleep so good, okay? But, um, but we have this incredible sentence, this great passage, this paragraph um, from the Son to the Father. When he came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So there's this great mission. There's this great plan. There's this great purpose. And it was agreed upon before the foundation of the world that the son would be sent on this rescue mission to atone for the sins of the world. And the blood of bulls and goats, they were just done religiously with no heartfelt obedience from the people. And it was burning the Lord's eyes. He had no pleasure in this. He wanted people to obey because they loved him. But they couldn't do it and they wouldn't do it. So he sent the son to atone for the sins of the world. And then that we would be given new hearts so that we too would want to delight to do his will. I know it's crazy. I know it's a lot. But you just got to know this was all planned. This was all something that the, the son delighted to do for us and for the father. And it was planned from eternity past. And so when you think of Jesus, think of him as a man on a mission. Okay, Even from the age of 12, he was a boy on a mission. Okay, uh, In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, he's 12 years old. They, they can't find him, right? He's lost. He's left back at the temple. They didn't know it for like a couple days. When they finally get back to Jesus and find him as he's 12 years old, they're worried, where have you been? You were not with the caravan, you know? This is back when you can fall out of a caravan, you know? Um, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? You know, it's like, how dare you talk back to me? No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, there was some like, like, Mary's like, yeah, that's right. Like, you're not mine. Um, you did have a mission. There was something different about what we've got going on than what these other moms and their kids got going on. And you were about your father's business. And it says Mary thought about these things and pondered them in her heart. And then in a couple chapters, well, in John chapter uh, 2, the water and the wine passage, you know, Mary's like going around. The wedding doesn't have wine. What are we going to do? I'm going to go tell my son. He's got something cool going on. And the son says... It's not my time yet. Why are you troubling me with this? And she's like, man, I just want you to get some wine for the... No, she knows that there's something bigger going on, okay? But it, you know, it took a little bit of grasping for her to remember that her own son was on a mission. Mary, did you know that your baby boy was on a mission, was on a mission from heaven at age 12, at the early part of his ministry in the water of the wine passage? And this is important for us to know as we come into this season, and maybe we're halfway through the season, I don't know, some of you it started like at Halloween or something, some of you it was the 4th of July, you had your Christmas lights up, I don't know. It's kind of confusing sometimes, but sometimes we think that we can kind of sideline Jesus 
with this season, especially since, you know, he wasn't even born in December, so there's that bit of it, right? But we kind of come into it like, yeah, Jesus is a big part of it. He's the reason for the season, but also so are gingerbread cookies, okay? And so are also cozy blankets and chestnuts roasting on an open fire and sleigh bells ringing, which there's none of those around here anymore, okay? But, you know, we're kind of like Jesus, but also all of this stuff. You know, we were hanging a tree the other day and I was listening to some worship Christmas music and I was kind of like, yeah. And then I'm like, you know what our kids really need? (laughs) A little Mariah Carey Christmas, you know? Never having seen the videos, just, you know, all I want for Christmas is you. All of a sudden, we're getting that off. We're putting worship back on, okay? So don't go to the Mariah Carey YouTube channel for Christmas. I'm just, some of you thought it might have been a good idea. I mean, Justin Bieber's there, so it's kind of Christian. Okay, no, just kidding. Okay. Now, maybe we can get people to believe that Jesus came down from heaven, but the next thing we've got to step into faith in is that he came not just to teach us to be kind to one another, but he came to uh, do more than give us a sweet holiday with cozy stuff and great fragrances, you know, and peppermint lattes and all of that good stuff. We, there's a purpose behind why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to fulfill the law. He came to sacrifice himself for us. He came to pay the ransom price for our sin and to redeem us back to the Father. Uh, And so we've got to be careful not to just sideline Jesus. We've got to remember uh, the true purpose of why he came, where he came from, and what it means for us. Part of this mission, of this well-defined objective that's part of this mission is that none of us would be lost. None of those who he called would be lost. None that the Father sovereignly gave him would be lost. And, you know, as an evangelist and as a student of the word, I like to just be able to say, if you're here today, this is for you. The Father's calling you to salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus. What must you do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. Do you have the hope of heaven? Absolutely. There is assurance for salvation because the same God who saved you and sacrificed himself for you is going to be faithful to work in you and bring your salvation to completion on that day. In John chapter 17, verse 12, it's called the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. It says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. He's talking about his disciples. Those whom you gave me, I have kept And none of them was lost, except for the one that it was going to be prophesied he'd be lost. He never was with us. The son of perdition. The scripture might be fulfilled in that loss. One chapter later in John 18, 9, the saying would be fulfilled which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I've lost none. And and I believe that about the gospel, that those whom the Lord gives to Jesus, he will lose none. Let's look in John 6 again, and here's another passage talking about where he came from, the purpose that he came, and what it means for us. It says that the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Um, So there's complaining because of something that he said. What was it that he said that he was from heaven, that he was divine? Uh, The cults say that Jesus never claimed to be God. But in this passage, he claims to be the bread from heaven. He claims to be the one that the Father sent from heaven. The gift of the Father to earth from heaven, okay? And the Jews knew that this is what Jesus was saying. He was claiming to be divine, and that frustrated them. And they said in verse 42, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who, Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Uh, and so, you know, they're just thinking naturally, like, no, 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 no. We know where he's from, you know. We know the high school that he graduated from, you know. We, we know, uh, you know, the, we, everything. We know his summer job. He was a carpenter with his dad, you know, and this and that. And, and, and they're forgetting, like, yeah, but remember all that crazy drama that was happening about 30 years ago with the whole 
virgin birth thing, you know, and the well, you know, remember what he's been saying? Like, his father is from heaven. His father's not the carpenter uh, there from Nazareth. And, uh, and then, so at the end of verse 42, how is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? So this is just another verse that affirms that where he came from question. Where did he come from? He has come down from heaven. Okay. Now, it's not so much that he claimed to be bread that offended them. It was his claim that he was bread from heaven and his claim that he came down from heaven. That was an offense to them and remains an offense to the Jews to this day. Uh, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Okay, so one of the things that we see this means for us throughout this passage is that we ought to receive, that we ought to believe, and here in verse 44, we ought to come to him, okay? We ought to come to him. We know that there's this Trinitarian work taking place. The Father sends the Son, and the Father draws the person to salvation for the purpose of, at the end of verse 44, us being raised up on that last day. I know it's a little scattered, guys. I know it's a little, you know, sometimes he phrases it this way with this question being answered first. Sometimes he phrases it this way with this question being answered. But in all of it, it's all, here's where he came from. Here's the purpose of why he came, what it means for us. You following me? Okay. And, uh, and so what it means for us is that we come to him. That we remain in him. And then hopping down into the next passage, verse 46, John 6, 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So where did he come from? He came from the presence of the Father, in fellowship with the Father, seeing the Father. And so I like what Alistair Begg says. If we miss this, we will sideline Christmas in terms of sentimentalism or in terms of the spirit of goodwill, or of cashew nuts, and blankets put over old ladies' legs, and shoveling snow for your neighbors, and eating more than we should, and it was nice to be with family, and then we can just put it back in the box of decorations and get on with our lives, rather than remembering that Jesus and his story continues year-round. Going back on into John chapter 6, look at verse 50. See if you can kind of pick up uh, these questions being answered in what order they're being answered in. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Are you guys kind of like, oh, I'm starting. Here's where he came from. Here's his purpose. Here's our response, okay? One of our responses is found in uh, the end of verse 50, that we would eat of him. And we studied this last week. We looked in depth at this. And as one church father, I think it was uh, Luther said, that when we believe, we eat of him. Okay? It's through faith that we partake in just a sweet um, inner belief, taking him into us through faith. Uh, we eat of him and have this everlasting life where it says we will not die. Okay, uh, He calls himself the living bread there in 51. Um, we're told again, eating of this bread halfway through 51. When we do that, there's life forevermore. Life for the world at the end of verse 51. There's an old hymn, and we sang kind of a chorus from it here um, before the uh, study. And it's from the hymn, Amid the Winter Snow, or See Amid the Winter Snow. And here's one of the lines. Sacred, sacred infant, all divine, what a tender love was thine. Thus to come from highest bliss 
down to such a world as this. All right, so the bread sent from heaven, full of love, but from highest bliss coming to a world such as this. Let's go on. John six fifty seven through 58. Do you think when these things are repeated and repeated and repeated again that the Lord's trying to get something through to us? You know, do you think it's something that's good for us to concentrate on again, um, even in our culture and our day and even this December? Look at John six fifty seven through 58. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Okay, so in that verse, Father sending the Son, okay, uh, but also our response is feeding on him and having life. Now look at verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Right, so this earthly bread that we often labor for, it perishes. The beginning of this discourse was Jesus just straight up telling the Galilean Jews, do not labor for the bread which perishes. Your fathers ate the bread in the wilderness, and whatever that bread was, as great as it was, that manna in the wilderness, they still died after they ate it. Not because they ate it, I don't think there was poison in the manna, but the, you know, 90 years goes by and they croak. All right, they were dead. C.S. Lewis put it, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough, okay? Eventually, food won't keep us alive. And whatever it is we're trying to satisfy ourselves with, it tapers off. You know, for me, I can't find a stomach big enough. You know, I love Thanksgiving meals. I love Christmas meals. I'm just like, I just want to eat this forever. But food is a horrible God because it lasts like 10 minutes and then it makes you sick afterwards, right? You're like bloated and you're rolling around the house, all right? Uh, I'm like, Lord, if I could just have a bigger stomach, then I, well, I'm getting the, getting the area large. It's just not so much the capacity, right? Um, can't find a history movie long enough, you know? It's like, oh, this is such a great historical movie, you know? about tanks in World War II or the trenches or the bombers and the, this is so good. It's an hour and a half. It's over, right? Uh, you know, so, so to kind of chime in with C.S. Lewis there, when we eat of the bread that's eternal, it satisfies the deepest longing in our heart forever, forever. It brings life eternal. St. Augustine famously said, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. But maybe we could kind of tweak his words and paraphrase it for this. Maybe Augustine would say, you made us to hunger for you and our starving souls find no nourishment until they feast on you. And so all that Jesus has done in the gospel, being part of this Trinitarian plan to come and rescue the world out of darkness and transform them into the marvelous light in the kingdom of his love. Um, it all has this great application for us to feast on it, to enjoy it. You know, that every ginger snap we eat this year, man, I had a cupcake from the women's little Christmas party y'all had. Someone brought a cupcake home, and I'm like, this is marvelous. I don't know what magic potion voodoo stuff you put in this you know but it's blowing my mind and i'm gonna have two okay um and every time you might eat some of those marvelous holiday morsels uh just tell yourself this is the deliciousness of the gospel okay remind yourself of the deliciousness of the story of life that comes in jesus and let it cause your heart to spring forth into praise into song into anthem into Christmas carols, not so much about uh, a reindeer with an acne problem, you know, but maybe more some, you know, we walked in today and I'm like, do I hear Michael Buble singing Let It Snow, Let It Snow here in the sanctuary? I'm like, great song and it's snowing outside. I don't know where Buble's at with Jesus. I should probably go throw on some worship music. And it was awesome because Judy, who's, you know, St. Lawrence is taking on, uh, helping us out, which is awesome. Doing a great job today, Judy, by the way. Um, but also, you know, they're like trying to find Pandora, like, 
I don't know what song's coming up next about Mariah Carey and how many Christmases she wants to love people at, you know, but uh, <laughs> there's got to be something about Jesus in here, you know, and it was awesome. Uh, the whole crew up there was trying to find something edifying um, for us. Whew. Okay. <laughs> Gotta love technology. You guys, this is all crazy, right? We got some sort of electrical thing that goes right through here you might have felt it where your was your hair standing up on end okay because if we got the christmas tree which is obviously taking a lot of amperage there and the furnace on at the same time blows the breaker okay so our live stream go the live stream computers up there it goes down the whole world knows it and so when you see me bug out and flipping a breaker back on and that's what's happening this is what we got thank you lord for this (laughs) But Christmas time comes with its struggles. I mean, doesn't happen any other time of the year, but when we have that tree right there, that's it's my fault, Kim. You wanted to put it over there, and I was like, no, we've got to have one on that side. Okay, let's get back to Jesus, maybe? Could we? Okay, so this third question, what does this mean to me? What does this mean for me? Let's see what it meant to the disciples of the day when they heard it. Verse 60, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Okay, these are not the 12 disciples. This is actually all the people, the multitudes that were following him. Um, You know, so when you're watching old vintage YouTube videos of Jesus, you know, cruising and walking along by the Sea of Galilee, and there's like this multitude, and they all have the cool headdresses on, and it's 70s color, you know, all those guys left him. Okay, they all didn't like this saying about the bread of life and him coming down from heaven and you got to receive him and eat him. They thought it was cannibalistic and this and that. And uh, that great vintage story on YouTube, only 12 of them stuck around. Okay, the rest of them said, this is a demanding and rough Christmas sermon that Jesus just preached to us here in this bread of life passage. It's hard to understand. Speaking of hearing out... um, a legal case, all right? D.A. Carson said, what was it that offended their sensibilities? Judging by the preceding discourse, there were four features in Jesus' words at which they took umbrage. Number one, they were more interested in food, uh, verse 26. Number two, they were more interested in political messianism and manipulative miracles than in the spiritual realities to which the feeding miracle had pointed them, okay? Jesus was trying to get them to think eternally about eternal life that came from heaven. They wanted more bread, they wanted more fish, and they wanted someone to kick Rome out of their country, okay? And so verse 61 says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Okay, they're grumbling, they're joining in the behavior of the multitude, and, uh, and is this making you stumble? Verse 62, what if then, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? This not only affirms Jesus' preexistent, by the way, because notice it says that we, he was somewhere before. He would have to ascend there uh, to go back. But it places Jesus in a class quite different than other religious heroes who'd come before him. Okay? So he says, what if I ascended to heaven? Would that back up my case or would that offend you even more? And we know from uh, the Gospels and from early on in the book of Acts that Jesus is actually going to ascend up to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection. Forty days after he rises from the dead, he's going to ascend to where he was before in that great homecoming. You guys know the uh, third day song, Who is this king of glory? Who surrounds me with it? Okay, Uh, that's from a psalm speaking of who is this king of glory? Open up you gates, open up the bars. Who is this king of glory? Strong and mighty. It speaks of Jesus in the ascension coming back into the throne room of heaven having accomplished this mission that we've talked about today, having been victorious, having died that sacrificial substitutionary death, his blood paying for the sins of the world, having risen from the dead and leading captivity captive and giving gifts to men, 
uh, that resurrection is the great vindication of all of his claims to be God. Okay, he hung out for 40 days on the earth, proving that he was alive. He shoved himself alive. And then on that 40th day, he ascended up into heaven where there wasn't a glass or bronze ceiling that he bonked his head on and they wouldn't let him back in. No, the gates were opened up because he was the champion of heaven, the hero of heaven. And so we had this great homecoming full of pomp and circumstance, probably some streamers and maybe some punch and some cake. And as he comes in, he sits down at the right hand of the Father, and all the heavens worship, and and it vindicates everything that he said in this bread of life passage. What if you see me, the Son of Man, ascend back to where I previously come? That's why we need to celebrate Ascension Sunday just as much as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. It's huge for Christian doctrine and theology and what it means for us. My Britney Spears mic is really messing with me today. (laughs) How's it look? Need some scotch tape. Okay. Verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And here's where we see the third person of the Trinity come into this story. That everything that Jesus has been saying, it's been the Holy Spirit now working on the hearts of these people through the words of Jesus giving life. uh, The Holy Spirit has this role of transformation, of of causing people to be born again. And uh, of course, when Jesus is saying this, the whole part of the gospel hadn't been accomplished yet, but soon it would be the case that the Spirit would give life. None of the fleshly things that people could do to satisfy that hunger would profit them anything, but only a work of the Holy Spirit in the gospel. Um. F.F. Bruce says that when they were to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, it must be understood as an attitude and activity of the spiritual realm. Eating material food cannot impart spiritual life. That much was evident from the fact that the Israelites who ate the manna died nevertheless. Okay. Um, Verse 64, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. They had not combined the message that they had heard with faith. They hadn't mingled this bread of life passage with belief. And so they had no benefit from Jesus being the bread of life for them. I like what Matt Carter says. Thinking about eating is not the same as eating. Knowing nutritional facts is not the same thing as eating. Understanding how food is processed by the body is not the same thing as eating. So to believe is to internalize truth about who Jesus is. It's like eating the message and internalizing it by faith. It's to receive him into your soul. And Matt Carter goes on to say, thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing. Understanding how Jesus saves a person is not the same as believing. One must believe and trust and rest in the finished work of Jesus in this great mission that we've spoken of today. Verse 65. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Give me three more minutes. Can you do that? Three minutes? And then give Johnny, like, what, four, Johnny? Is that what you need? So seven minutes, okay? You guys can do that. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no, no more. Bruce says what they wanted, he could not give. And what he offered, they would not receive. They wanted that physical bread to be brought to them. These professing disciples who would walk away would show that their discipleship was fraudulent. They were not true followers of Jesus. And John would talk about it later on in one of his epistles, 1 John 2.19, where he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Just grieved last night i was looking at some of my israel pictures from 2001 and uh, they were actual 
click film pictures, you know, and they're faded and like warped now. I'm like, oh, and I, I forgot about so many people I went to Israel with. But as I'm looking through them, I know that there's a number of those individuals that even though I went to Bible college with them, even though I went to Israel with them, some I went to Israel and Mexico with or to Brazil with, now they deny the word of God. Now they deny salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a bit of a mystery as to how all that happens. And just one thing that helps us understand it is, even though we went to Mexico together, even though we went to Brazil together, even though we went to Israel together, um, you know, if they were to continue in a place of rebellion against the gospel, I would be able to come concerning them to 1 John 2.19 and just say, man, they went out from us because they never were actually a part of us. They never actually walked in the type of faith that Jesus is talking about here where they are eating Jesus and consuming Jesus and receiving him for salvation. Some people come as pseudo-disciples with prenuptial agreements, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm all in except, you know, I kind of get this little part still. And if things don't really work out here, I'm always falling back on this. Johnny, come on up. Help me keep my promise. Then Jesus said to the twelve Do you also want to go away? So all the multitudes went away but the 12. And Jesus says, do you also want to go away? I always get sad when I read this. Like, poor Jesus. Everyone left him. And then he kind of looks at the other 12 like, you too? You know? (laughs) But as Bruce, who's a Bible historian, says that the Greek and the, the language implies that he asked, in not in a mood of despair, The use of the Greek negative in a question indicates that the answer no is expected, saying, you don't want to go away to, do you, is actually how it's said. And Simon Peter answers him, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? What what else are we going to do? You see anyone else here walking on water, multiplying fishes and loaves, you know, showing himself clearly to be the bread sent from heaven? Who else are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. The words that you speak, bearing witness by the spore, witness by the spirit, they are eternal life. And we, the 12 of us, have come to believe that you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're the Holy One of Israel. You are worth trusting in today. In that moment, it's like Peter just took a big old bite of what Jesus was laying down. Like, I totally believe in everything that you're saying right now. Drinking the punch and eating the bread, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? That's just a good response. Like, Jesus, to whom would we go? You're the words of eternal life, you know? I've, every one of us come to One of you is a devil here. I just know it. <laughs> You really got to work on the public relations here, Jesus. I don't know. Okay. Probably not how the exact conversation went down as John's recording it to us. Okay. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for as he who would betray him being one of the 12. Guys, set your things aside. And as we close here, let's just remember and let's eat of where he came from. Jesus from heaven. God eternal, God with us, as he takes on flesh, comes to earth, and lives a life that we could never live. Let's remember his purpose. It was that purpose that he came to obey and fulfill the law of the Lord. So that in his perfection, in his perfect obedience, he could be sacrificed in his spotless state for the sins of the world. And what does this do for us? Man, we hear that this is for us. And so we receive it. We cling to it. We have sweet remembrance of it as we believe it. Bringing into our inner soul the work that Jesus did. We believe. We come to him. We receive. We abide. And we have the promises of Jesus, of everlasting life, life eternal, to be kept by him until that day. Man, that ought to make our hearts spring up with comfort 
and joy and hope and thankfulness. And so let's spend some time. We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing the song from Peter. The song my friend wrote uh, from Corvallis. Uh, it's the response of Peter. Of where else are we going to go? And let's cry that out to the Lord. Even in this season where there are so many things vying for our attention and our passions and our love. And just kind of put Jesus as just one category over here that maybe we'll spend a little time with Jesus and all of it. Let's bring Jesus out and let it all be about Jesus. Who else are we going to turn to in this time? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe that you are the Christ. And so as we sing this, maybe this would be the first day for you and the first time for you that you believe on Jesus for forgiveness of sins. You believe on Jesus for life everlasting. You believe in Jesus for strength for today and a hope that endures. Just trust in him. Just eat of him today with your heart. Eat him up. Receive him today. And let's sing this song of faith together. Go ahead.